All right, let's turn now to our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 11. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 11. Some of these words will be alluded to by our Lord Jesus when we come to the New Testament text in Matthew. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's word. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations." Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land they shall possess double Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And our New Testament text, our sermon text, is Matthew chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 through 24. Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you see, which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, 
What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you. And more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which, he, in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Gracious Lord, your law is perfect, converting the soul. Your testimony is sure, giving wisdom to the simple. Your word enlightens the eyes. We pray, Lord, that through your goodness you would enlighten our minds, open our hearts to receive your word by your Holy Spirit, that we may understand your word and hear your word and truly heed it and, and, and listen to it and respond in faith and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Chapter 10, which we just wrapped up a couple Lord's Days ago in Matthew's Gospel, uh, wraps up the second major block of teaching in his Gospel. Uh, and then chapter 11, which we're starting this morning and, 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 and running through much of, chapter 11 is going is to pick up a narrative section and it's going to take this narrative through chapter 12, all the way through chapter 12. And it's going to be full of teaching and preaching from Jesus, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not a, a dedicated section of teaching like the Sermon on the Mount was or Jesus' address to his disciples was in Matthew chapter 10. So we're diving into this new section in Matthew's Gospel after Jesus has finished addressing his disciples about the mission he sent them on. Chapter 11 and chapter 12, Jesus is going about again. He's teaching, he's preaching, and we're going to look at, at that together. Now, as chapter 11 starts, there's something of a turning point here in Jesus' ministry. 
it's this, that opposition is growing to Jesus. So far, it's been lots of people have been excited to see him. Crowds have been coming out to see him. There hasn't been a whole lot of opposition voiced. Uh, things seem to be going fairly, fairly well overall. But now we're going to start seeing in chapter 11 and following, and really throughout the rest of the gospel, this mounting opposition to Jesus. People growing frustrated with Christ. Frustrated with him. He's not the Christ I was expecting. Not the Christ I was hoping for. He's not the Christ that I think I need. He's challenging our expectations. His ministry doesn't look the way the people around him thought it should, so they're turning their backs on him. They're starting to doubt him. Even some of his disciples, some of those who uh, professed faith in him before, are starting to have doubts. We see this, right? Zoomed in at the start of the chapter. We're zoomed in on one man's questioning and doubt. Even John the Baptist is questioning, beginning to doubt. Is this really the Christ? And by the end of the chapter, we're going to see the zoomed out view to these cities of Galilee that are also rejecting Christ. And through this, throughout this whole section, Jesus is challenging us, and he's warning us, and he's calling us, and he's pleading with us to listen to who he is. Listen to what his gospel is. Listen to what his kingdom is. And to trust that he really is the Christ that we need, the Savior that we need. Three points. Loved ones, as we work through the text here this morning, the first one is this. Don't be tripped up by who Christ is. Don't be tripped up by who Christ is. This is verses 2 through 6. Have you ever doubted Christ before? We could ask for a show of hands. Every hand should go up, right? We've all doubted Christ. In some way, we probably all are continuing to have some, some thing we doubt about Christ. Something about his goodness, perhaps. Something about his kingdom, uh, perhaps. Something about his timing. It happened to John the Baptist as well. John, we've met John before in the Gospel of Matthew. You remember, of course. Uh, He's there early on. He's Jesus' cousin. Uh, Luke tells us that even before Jesus was born, John the Baptist leapt in the womb when when, when his mother met uh, the mother of Jesus. And, of course, John is the guy who goes out in the wilderness when he grows up. He's he's a prophet. God calls him out to be a a prophet. He goes out to the wilderness around Judea, and he preaches the kingdom's coming. He preaches about the final judgment that's coming. And John tells us that he's pointing to Christ and saying, Behold, here is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So of everybody in the gospel around Jesus, who we would think would be the last person to doubt Jesus... It's John who's expressing some doubts here. He, he is the earliest and clearest herald of Christ's mission, one, one of them, apart from the angels in Luke 2. He's there announcing Christ as the one who's bringing the kingdom. Now, as the story picks up here in chapter 11, as verse 2 picks up, we're told John is in prison. Uh, so we're not told why here. Later on, we're going to find out more details about this. It's because he stood up to Herod. And, uh, and told him it was sinful and wrong for him to take his brother's wife. So clearly, John, John is a guy who is not afraid of anybody but the Lord, right? I mean, he stood up to Herod, knowing probably that he'd get thrown in prison for it, at least thrown in prison. John has guts. He's got conviction. But he's there in prison, and he's hearing about what Christ is doing, and he starts to doubt, and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one? 
Or do we look for another? Isn't it interesting the way Matthew sets this up? He says in verse 2 that when John heard the works of Christ, he sent his disciples to ask more or less, are you the Christ? You see, Matthew, this is only the second time in Matthew's Gospel he uses this title of Christ. And he's not going to use it again until Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ in Matthew 16. Matthew's been building the case that Jesus is the Christ. He's been laying out the evidence of his authority, his power, his grace to show us who he is as the Christ. And he says here explicitly, now remember, this is the Christ. And he says, but John is sending someone to ask, are you the Christ? John hears everything that Jesus has been doing, which proves he's the Christ. And John is doubting even in the face of all that evidence. Why is he doubting? We're not told too much about, about why. I mean, we, could, we could speculate perhaps. Maybe it's his circumstances. He's in prison. Maybe that's shaken him a little bit. I don't think John was the type of guy, though, who would be shaken up too much by circumstances. I mean, he was out in the wilderness wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and honey and, and telling everyone judgment was coming. He stood up to Herod. I don't think he was the kind of guy to fold under a bit of persecution. I don't think that is... is it, might, it might play into it. But I don't think that this was the reason. I think more likely is that John didn't see in Jesus' ministry the same prominence given to the theme of judgment that was in his own ministry and that he expected to see in the Christ's ministry. He looked at Jesus' ministry. He heard what Jesus was doing. And to him, it sounded like the judgment theme was turned down to a two or a three. Whereas in John's ministry, it was blasting out the speakers, set at ten, right? Full volume, all judgment, just about. Uh, listen, to, listen to John's message, John's words back in Matthew chapter 3. When he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's John's preaching, right? Volume all the way up on judgment. He's telling Israel, the axe is, is already striking against the root of the tree. Uh, repent, or you're going to be thrown into the fire of the coming Christ in his world-ending judgment. John isn't wrong to expect this, is he? It's what the Old Testament prophesies. That when the Christ comes, he's going to bring final salvation and final judgment. Both. And we do see judgment as a theme in Jesus' ministry. And it's going to be a growing theme as his ministry continues and Israel continues to reject him. But it's not the main theme, right? The main theme is Good news, the gospel, grace, the forgiveness of sins. He opens his mouth, or Jesus opens his mouth in his first major sermon in the gospel of Matthew with the words, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. 
right? He, his, 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 and then he goes on and he, he heals the sick. He touches the leper and cleanses the leper. And he's compassionate and gracious and gentle. And we're going to go on to hear of this gentleness and lowliness, his meekness. And, and so John is wondering, I, I know the Old Testament prophecies about what the Christ would do and what he'd bring. Yes, final salvation, but also final judgment. And I'm only, I'm only really seeing the graciousness of Christ. Is he only half a Christ? He's not the Christ I expected. Should we look for someone else? What does Jesus say? He says, Go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus pulls together these prophecies of Scripture. One we read earlier, Isaiah 61. He's also pulling from Isaiah 35. And he pulls them together, and he tells John, the evidence is clear. I want to start with what he says last here. He says to John, um, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That word offended there is in the Greek skandalizo. It's, we get the word scandal from it, to be scandalized. It means to, 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 to stumble, to cause something or someone to stumble or to trip over something. Jesus is saying to John, don't stumble, don't trip over me. Don't be offended by me. Don't be offended over the grace that I'm showing. Don't be offended over the Messiah that I'm turning out to be. Part of the prophecies about Jesus' kingdom actually included this, that there would be those who would stumble over Christ and, and see, see Christ as a, as, 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 a, as a stumbling block. Paul references this in Romans chapter 9. Peter references it as well in 1 Peter chapter 2. They both quote Isaiah 8 verses 14, which says that God is laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That the Messiah is going to cause stumbling. People are going to trip over Christ. People are going to be offended by Christ. They're going to look at Christ and say, who could believe in a Christ who had to become weak and die on a cross? What kind of a Savior is that? People are going to look at Christ and say, I can never believe in a Christ who is so gracious to people who didn't deserve it. This is where John is stumbling, I think. He, he doesn't see Christ bringing the judgment that was also promised. Uh, he doesn't see that that, that that part will come. Right now it's the, 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 the time of salvation and grace. He only sees half of Christ. So Jesus points him to Scripture. He says, The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus is saying, John, I'm not failing to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament about who the Christ would be. He's showing us that, that the judgment will come. There's a little bit of foreshadowing of it now. Judgment will come. But, but here, first of all, we're getting the outpouring of the grace of God in the work of salvation. That Jesus has come to give eternal life, peace with God, forgiveness of sins. Jesus is saying, look, I gave sight to the blind. Go look through your Bible and find someone else who gives sight to the blind. There's no one. Only the one who made the eye can do that. Only the Messiah can do that. And he says, I, I cleanse lepers, an incurable disease that kept you distanced and separated from God and the people of God and the worship of God, made you unclean ceremonially. Jesus comes and he cleanses them. 
He, he goes on, I, I, uh, he says, I raise the dead, I preach the good news to the poor. Who else is going to do these things? He said to, to, to John, everything I've done and everything I've said shouts that I'm the Christ. When the Christ comes, will he do more works than these? As we read elsewhere. Brothers and sisters, what about you? Um, do you trip over Christ? Something about his character, something about who he is, something about his kingdom. Do you doubt that he's exactly the Christ he should be? That he's doing exactly what he should in the time frame that he should? That he's bringing about his kingdom in the way that he should? Do you doubt these things? Do you doubt that he is exactly the Savior that you need? Perhaps you think he's letting you suffer too much. Or that his kingdom is taking too long to arrive. He's being slow to bring about his promise to fulfill his kingdom and bring it to consummation. Maybe you stumble over the fact of his, his grace to sinners who don't deserve grace. You think, I work hard as a Christian. I work and I serve and, 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 I, and I give. And, and, and someone else, Jesus, shows just as much grace to them. They don't do all these things. He shows the same grace to them as he does to me. Perhaps you trip over his authoritative commands, his demands that you follow him and, 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 and put him first and, and love him and him alone, uh, him first and foremost in your life. Maybe you, maybe you trip like Peter did over his humility. Lord, you'll never wash my feet. We look at Christ and we do often doubt and struggle and question that he's not the Christ that, uh, that, 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 that we need. He's not, he's not the Christ this world needs. He's not the Christ our church needs. He's not the Christ that I need. Maybe there's someone else, something else we need to add to him. We look for another. That's the heart of doubt. Christ isn't enough. Not sufficient. The gospel he brings is not enough. The kingdom he brings is not enough. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself tripping over Christ, it's not his fault. It's yours. Uh, it's that you don't understand. We don't, when, we, when we do this, we're not understanding that he is exactly the Christ we need. He is sufficient for us in every respect. Exactly the Savior that we need. The Puritan Richard Sibbs speaks of this. He talks about the perfect fitness of Christ as our Savior in a little book called The Glorious Feast of the Gospel, he writes, In Christ there is variety answerable to all our wants. Are we defiled? He is sanctification. Are we in misery? He is our redemption. If there are a thousand kinds of evils in us, there are a thousand ways to remedy them by Jesus Christ. So don't doubt him. And don't look for more than him or someone else beyond him. Submit to him and trust him and trust his timing. Trust his kingdom to come as in his way at his time. He is a sufficient Christ. That's the first thing that Jesus shows us here. Don't doubt Christ. Don't trip over Christ. The second thing we see is this. In verses 7 to 19, Jesus warns us not to be deaf to the fact that the promised kingdom of heaven is here. This is our second, our second point. Don't be deaf to the fact that the promised kingdom of heaven is here. John is challenging his audience here to realize how significant John the Baptist is, and then in light of that, to realize how significant he is and how significant this time they're living in 
is. That the kingdom has come. Who's the greatest man in the history of the world before Christ? Alexander the Great? Julius Caesar? Nebuchadnezzar? Think of biblical heroes. Make a top ten list, a power list, right? power rankings, like in the NFL. Who are the top ten in the Old Testament? Noah, maybe Abraham, Moses, probably top the list out. David, perhaps. Um, what about John the Baptist? Would he even make your top ten list? What did he do? No mighty miracles. He preached, he baptized. He wore funny clothes and ate funny food. But he's not the standout, right? He's not, he's not like Moses or one of these other great heroes. Uh, what, what did he do? He announced Christ. He announced the kingdom of Christ. He is the one who, right, he's like the, the guy who comes out before the keynote speaker and announces the, the, the guy you're really there to listen to. Uh, or, or the opening act, the place for the band you really came to hear at the concert. Right? He's getting you ready to hear Christ. That's all he did. It seems like a, a minor thing. But, but Jesus says in verse 11, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Why is John the greatest man who ever lived before Jesus? Jesus says, um, it's, it's because he announced, announced me. He, Jesus points us to Malachi chapter 3, this prophecy there where it says in verse, verse Matthew uh, 11, verse 10, This is he of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Uh, that there's a promise about the one who would come and announce that the Christ was coming. So John is like the last, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's standing on the threshold of Christ at that transition point, that hinge between Old and New Testaments. And he's there on the doorway of the kingdom of heaven being brought in. And he's telling Israel, it's here. The kingdom is here. That's why he's the greatest of all the prophets. Greater than Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah and all, and all the rest. Because he saw Jesus and said to people, here is the Christ. Here is the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. So Jesus says, John, he might be sitting in prison now, like many a prophet before him, facing the violence of those who attack the kingdom of heaven, but he doesn't, uh, it doesn't diminish his greatness and his importance. He's the greatest because he's the closest to me, John says. It's a stunning thing for Jesus to say. He's defining greatness as how close you are to him. He is centering all the Bible and all of history on himself. Stunning thing to say. This is why John is the greatest, because he is the one in closest proximity to me and my kingdom. But then Jesus goes on and he says something that's even more shocking and surprising than that John is the greatest. What does he say as he goes on in verse 11? It says, He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The least person in the kingdom of heaven, greater than John. The most humble, ordinary Christian. The Christian, the Christian struggling with doubt and besetting sins. And uh, uh, the most faltering, weak faith Christian, Jesus said, is, is greater than John the Baptist, and therefore greater than Abraham and Moses and David and all the rest. Right, this applies to you, brothers and sisters. If you're in the kingdom of heaven, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, 
That's a higher privilege than anything Moses ever got to do or see. You have a place of higher privilege than any of the great saints and heroes of the faith of old. Because you are closer to Jesus. You are not just looking forward to the kingdom that will come one day. You are living already in the kingdom of Christ. You're not just hoping for the Christ to come and bring salvation. You've seen Him come and seen His salvation. And you've, you, you, you've, 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 you've seen and tasted that for you. You, you. you read it in the pages of the Gospels. And you're, you're, you're living in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ already. This is, uh, Moses would, right, Moses got to do amazing things. He got to go up Mount Sinai and see God and, 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 and see right, God's back and behold His glory and hear God speak to him. And the Bible says that God spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And we think, that would be so wonderful to have something like that. But he would trade places. He would rather sit here this morning than go up Mount Sinai. Because here he would see so much more about Christ and the gospel for him. So brothers and sisters, we so quickly forget the glorious age that we're living in. Yes, the still, the, you know, we're still living in the sinful, tedious, frustrating world of sin. But the new age has started in Christ. And the kingdom has already begun we're living in it. And that is the highest privilege imaginable. Our struggle to remember this is nothing new. Jesus is saying this because he's looking around at, at those in his day, and it's just as bad, if not, if not worse. Most of the Jews are rejecting him. Most aren't paying any attention at all. He's saying, this is how important John was, and you ignored him. This is how important I am, and now you're ignoring me. And he, he uses an illustration to drive the point home. He compares those who ignore the gospel message to those who don't dance when dance music is being played. And you don't get sad when sad music is being played. Uh, John came with the sad music, Israel. He came with the lament. And you ignored it. You went on living your lives, not repenting. You called him an extremist. Uh, John came, right, not eating and drinking, fasting, self-denial, a severe life, and, 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 and you know, you, you wrote him off as crazy, and, and you wouldn't, wouldn't repent. And Jesus comes, eating and drinking and declaring the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, and healing and casting out demons, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. So all around Jesus, people, they're not sorrowing over sin. They're not rejoicing over the gospel. They're not praising God. The kingdom has finally come. Instead, they're just shrugging their shoulders and turning away and going about their lives the way they always did before. The brothers and sisters, Jesus is, Jesus is pressing the point home. He's, he's saying to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to the fact that the gospel is here. Are you hearing me? That's what he's saying to the Jews of his day and to us. Are you listening? Not, not just the words are going in your head, but, but are you listening to Jesus and responding to Jesus appropriately? Jesus is, is calling us to respond to him as, uh, as we are hearing what he is, to, to respond to him in faith. Listening to Jesus means repentance and obedience and trust, rejoicing at the gospel, James 1.22 says, 
Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Jesus is calling us to hear him, to listen to who he is, and realize the kingdom of heaven is here. And to pay attention to that and live in the light of that and and not miss that. This brings us to the, the third point this morning. Here Jesus is talking about what it will cost you if you don't listen and ignore the fact that the kingdom of heaven is here. Our third point, don't fall under the wrath of God because you ignored Christ. Verses 20 through 24, don't fall under the wrath of God because you ignored Christ. Jesus says, pay attention and listen, or this is what's going to happen. He warns these cities that he's going through, Galilee uh, here, uh, the cities, um, he mentions Bethsaida and others, Capernaum, and he says, you are in danger of a judgment worse than the cities uh, Sodom and Gomorrah faced, right? The most sinful cities you can think of in the history of the world. Um, Jesus says, if they had seen what you saw, Jesus coming and raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, making the lame walk, if they saw that, they would have repented and they would still be here today trusting in me. But you have ignored it. Israel has seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and they just, that's not the Christ we wanted. Not the Christ I wanted. Um, Jesus says the judgment's going to be worse for you. This is the flip side of what we saw earlier with Jesus' words about John and the least in the kingdom of heaven, isn't it, right? It's a higher privilege to be this close to Christ and to be in the day when his kingdom is coming. Um, But it's also, there's a higher responsibility there. Greater danger there. Sinfulness is measured by how much you reject Christ. So the worst sinner of Sodom is less guilty of God's wrath than the Pharisees who see Jesus raise the dead and then turn around and plot how they can kill him. Brothers and sisters, um, we have so much. Uh, We have seen so much of Christ and his kingdom. Now, you might say, well, Jesus isn't in Limington cleansing the lepers and raising the dead. But we're living in the same age of the coming of his kingdom. We have seen in the pages of the Gospels the glorious work of Jesus Christ. And we have heard over and over throughout our lives and in the church here of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And we we have the full revelation of God, the whole Bible, the whole canon, and we know everything that that we can know about the life and death and resurrection of our Savior. Um, Many of you have been in the church for a long time, and if you grew up in the church, and you have heard about Christ all your life. So pay attention to Jesus' warning. Pay attention to what He's saying. Don't, Don't brush it off. Faith never brushes off a warning in Scripture. Our Confession of Faith, chapter 14, says that saving faith trembles at the threatenings of the Word of God. The more you've seen and heard of Christ, the more you are responsible for how you respond to Christ, the more spiritual privileges that you've enjoyed, the more severely God will judge you if you neglect them and fail to make good use of them. So, brothers and sisters, let's just to, just to conclude, don't be tripped up by Christ. Don't stumble over Christ. Don't be tripped up by the grace of God in Christ. He is exactly the Christ that you need. And His kingdom is coming in the time and in the way that it needs to. 
Second, don't be deaf to the fact that his kingdom has come. Don't plug your ears uh, to, the, to, the, to the kingdom. Uh, respond in faith. Respond in obedience. Tremble at the threatenings. Rejoice in the promises, as our confession says. We have, a, we have the light of the gospel of the glory of God shining fully and clearly in, in Jesus Christ. So don't be deaf and blind to it. And don't fall under the wrath of God because you ignored Christ. Confession of Faith 14, I just referenced again. Let me read a longer section of it as we close. It describes how we should be hearing Christ. How, how, how we should be listening to Christ. It says this, By this faith, a Christian believes to be true whatever is revealed in the Word and acts differently upon what each particular passage contains, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. And the principal act of saving faith is accepting, receiving, and resting on Christ alone. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for sending our Lord Jesus Christ exactly the Savior that we need. We pray that we would hear him, listen to him, and trust him, and respond in faith to every single word the Lord, we pray that you build us up and strengthen us in Christ as you continue to bring your kingdom here in your time and in your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.